0: No the right no, house I did it again We want to talk, and talk to Marilyn Hack I'm from Canada water
1: He's got no children.
0: He's a sodomite.
1: Be quiet, you medieval gnome. Let them dance. I'm not interfering. Try my bit. Hooray, hooray, the messengers come. Now I'm blowing off. I don't
0: like it here. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast reminding you that Hustlers is a Christmas movie. Every week on This (laughs) Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy, except today... We are not performing an autopsy on a movie. We're here to answer your questions, because it is a holiday, mailbag, spectacular, Ooh. special episode, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, our Yuletide is very gay. Um, <laughs> and we are here to answer your questions. Once again, listeners, I am your host, Chris File. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Joe Reed. Of course, we all remember our favorite line from Hustlers being, we love you, Chris Kringle. <laughs> hey, we love you, Rudolph. A televised Hustlers Christmas special, even though Hustlers is already a Christmas movie. Yes. Where they drug Santa <laughs> and steal his sleigh.
1: I, all right, here's my uh, now that this is a mailbag epi- uh, episode, we're going to start with one of my questions to you, which is how do we properly recognize Kiki Palmer for the contributions she made to pop culture in 2019? Because like between We Love You Gary and Sorry to This Man, it's her her contributions are like way 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 bigger than like anybody. Like I don't know somebody I'm going who's to give a me shout more out joy.
0: to friend of the podcast Murtada Alfadol who has the best idea in the world that she should be the Oscar host
1: (gasps) that's a good idea best idea
0: oh I like that I like that a lot. Okay, I'm into it. It completely reversed my thought that we should even have an Oscar host, but she would be the best. Or just, like, have her be, like, the leader of a team of hosts that's really just the supporting ensemble of hustlers all getting to host, but she's, like, the team leader, right? Like, she's corralling everybody, she's leading the thrust of the jokes.
1: So, like, who's the team? Is it all hustlers people, or is it, like, brought on from, like, different...
0: I mean, I think it's, like, the non-head... I mean, like, I guess they're all headliners, but, like, it, the people who would actually show up to do that. Like, Jennifer Lopez is gonna be nominated that night. Let her have a a, a good night. Constance Wu is, like, the lead of the movie. Like, it... it it would like diminish the yes. fun of having the support. I agree ladies. with you. Agree so with you. obviously Kiki Palmer. Yes. Lily Reinhardt. Like that. Mercedes Rule. <laughs> and
1: what's her face <laughs> from Handmaid's Tale who fucks everything up. Madeline Brewer, of course, is her name from uh from Handmaid's
0: Madeline Tale. Madeline Brewer, the exceptional Dawn in Hustle's. She's like the evolutionary Angela
1: Bettis. Remember when like Angela Bettis would show up in a bunch of things, like girl interrupted and whatnot, and just like yes. you knew shit was about to get fucked up? Yeah.
0: I also think like maybe Cardi B and Lizzo would be too busy to like do the rehearsals for everything, but maybe they could like introduce all of the music categories. God, Cardi B presenting Into the Unknown from Frozen 2 absolutely.
1: Oh my god, absolutely. Cardi B presenting anything. Cardi B doing the nominations. Yes. Oh, like the like the oh, like the god. nomination announcement.
0: I hope we get good nomination people this time. I mean, we are on like. Dakota Fanning announcing the Globes, which I get that it wasn't just her, it was other people. It was. But like Dakota Fanning, especially, it was like, slow down. I, I didn't even remember anything that she announced because she went too fast. The
1: Golden Globes are kind of always that way because they have so many categories to get through. So, like, I kind of right. get it. That's why the only memorable stuff that we get from the Golden Globe nominations are things like Philomania. Because, like, they're really, like, people are, like, hustling to get through.
0: But like, right, 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 right. I
1: don't know. The Oscar nomination announcements have been on a steady decline towards... I just care less about them now. Like they've almost broken me of my affection for them. It's not like I'm not gonna like. Obviously, I'll still be there watching and like with my little spreadsheet and whatnot. But like, I don't know. Like the Emma Stone thing was an aberration, and then they went back. And like, obviously, Dick Poop like restored my faith in humanity. Was fantastic. But like, since I also
0: have a major counterpoint to you because Tiffany Haddish was fantastic. Yes. First of all,
1: okay, but her
0: pronunciation of "Call Me by Your Name."
1: Call me by your
0: name. Is fully a ringtone. I agree And also, she kept, like, nominating Dunkirk, fully not knowing what Dunkirk was, and it was like, yes, we love you, Tiffany Haddish, for this. She's like, I gotta see this Dunkirk movie, and I loved it.
1: I loved all of that, and her personality was great. I don't love... Even though
0: it was absolutely shitty... That they asked her to do it the year that she could have been a nominee and she wasn't. Also, that was shitty. I hate
1: that. I super, super hate that. I hate that in all cases. I think it's tacky. But I also feel like I don't, I just don't like the YouTube sort of like little video package thing. Like it's become more and more of a production over the years. And like it's steadily on its way towards, and I said, if you're just going to do this, if you're going to like piece by piece hack away at the like, dorky traditionalism of the academy president and one person Reading the nominations, like, whatever, that's fine. If you're gonna do that, just go whole hog and turn it into a primetime television special. You'll get people to like people will watch. Like I don't understand Oh, one
0: thousand percent. So just
1: like so just do it. So just rip the band aid off if that's what you're gonna do. At this point, like I've I've given up hope that we're ever gonna go back to, you know, Academy president plus Marsha Gay Harden, even though that is the platonic ideal of the Academy Award nominations.
0: Like I don't know. I would kill if it was Catherine Zeta-Jones. Sure, right. You know me as a Casa Zeta-Jones stand. I do. I just feel
1: like we're losing a whole generation of, like, Jessica Chastain could be doing this. And, like, I'm trying to think of, like, some of the more recent nominees. Like, Rooney Mara would be awful at it, but, like, kind of in a fascinating way. That's why I want to see it? Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Like, Alicia Vikander, whatever. Like, we're losing an entire—it's such a great way of, like— a little momentary way of, like, finding a new thing to be excited about an actress for. Like, that's the whole, our whole Salma Hayek water thing it just stems from that, right? Just, like, it's a mm-hmm. whole other excuse for us. Or, like, the way that, like, Sigourney Weaver pronounced Jaimon Hansu that one year.
0: Jaimon Unsu in In America.
1: It's just, like, fucking love it. And I don't know. Anyway,
0: I guess my counterpoint is like Timothy Chalamet is not going to be nominated this year, and I would kind of like to just like put Catherine Zeta Jones on hold because I desperately want to hear the words Timothy Chalamet come out of Catherine Zeta Jones's mouth and just like how she will pronounce his name.
1: That's not a bad one. Maybe they do the nominations together this year, and she says. Here with me to to announce this year's nominations is Timothée. Timothée Chalamet.
0: Yeah. Although oh, the video of Meryl talking about <laughs> Sersha and Timothy. Yeah. And Meryl says Timothée is the best piece of video content I think that we have had all Oscar season so far. That's
1: wonderful. I will also it say it is
0: absolutely um, soothing.
1: It will. It will soothe all your abrasions and it will, yeah, it will be a salve on your horrible 2019 if you've had a bad one, which some of us have. The other side of that coin, though, and I do want to shout this out, is there was a great Greta Gerwig interview on Little Gold Men. That like she pronounces it Timothy like a regular human being, which is like good and fine. But just like the affection she has whenever she mentions either Timothy Chalamet or Saoirse Ronan, is like that's another thing I want sort of bottled and spritzed upon me at regular intervals throughout the day. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, as we are prone to do, we have gotten off course here. <laughs> yes. I'm going to steer us back. We are here to do a mailbag episode. This is a celebration of our listeners. Hopefully you liked our little brief bit of chit-chat at the beginning. But we are here to answer your questions because we appreciate and love you guys. Once again, we got an overwhelming amount of questions that we never could be able to fit into a single episode. So when we do these, please keep sending in your questions. We're sorry we can't get to all of them. But we absolutely love you guys. Um, Also, strange anomaly, we have a lot of listeners named like josh joseph justin yeah. so it's like when i say josh just know they are all different joshes <laughs> that have sent us question. but josh hi it's like josh is all over the you. world
1: it's just like it's like Pimping all over the world, but t- with Josh's. Also, when yes. You s- also,
0: the Jason Hive yeah. is our listener crew. And when you say Joseph, in this case, you
1: don't necessarily mean me, but sometimes you will mean me. So
0: I am always here to answer your questions. Thank you. Joseph. Thank you. Um, should we kick off with a couple
1: frequently asked questions? Yes. Yeah, to like just get the like last time, we
0: did have. Uh, we did not get any questions about what is Canada Water this time so I think we covered that pretty well in our last mailbag but one question that did repeat again a lot is when are we going to do a movie from before the 90s still our oldest episode is 1991 Frankie and Johnny great episode go back and listen to it Uh, we will definitely do this we will definitely do this was the question this time why do
1: you hate old movies because like that's always fun
0: I will say the one mean question we got was this question from someone and they phrase it very meanly, but it's fine. We don't, we don't have to mention them by name. I, I, I will just take the good faith that you were being nice, but.
1: Wait, what was the mean w- question? It was about this. It was about why don't you do older episodes?
0: Well, they just phrased it meanly like we we never watched a movie from before the 90s or something like that it was fine I think maybe if that's we were joking, a, if that's were a criticism
1: mean. that applies that I'm young I will hear it and I will accept it that's all I will say <laughs> if you are calling me a dumb millennial who doesn't know about anything before I was born thank you because oh my god as we
0: establish on a weekly basis here at this hot Oscar buzz Joseph is canonically young I'm
1: canonically young I have
0: to be yes yeah I mean movies didn't exist before the 90s no. it's a modern invention absolutely um, no, we will absolutely do it at some point. It's just there is... There are logistical like
1: a, hurdles. There are absolutely logistical, there's logistical
0: hurdles. There logistical hurdles. It's also like the Oscar race was incredibly different before then, before Boo, Hiss, Harvey Weinstein got involved and really made campaigns a thing that was outside of just like the studios putting forth their movies. Also, I want to um, just
1: mention that like... All podcasts are different, and some podcasts do things a certain way. And I love, I love what somebody like a Karina Longworth does with her podcast, which it turns it into like a history lesson and a mm-hmm. investigative journalism act and whatnot. And what we do is has elements of like research and investigation, but mostly we're calling upon our you know recollections and and memories and you know. Be, of being in this experience. So, like, it's not it's not unrelated that these are all movies and years that we remember unfolding, or at least a lot of them mm-hmm. are, because, like, that's the expertise that we bring to the table, and a lot of this is really
0: ephemeral, and if... And some of it, too, is just, like, uh, who is involved and, like, what our, like... Th- reductive mindset is in like predicting things what studios reductive like tactics are in what they are actually promoting yeah um and also it's just like i feel like before the 90s the well is much more shallow than from the 90s on and we plan to be here for the long haul guys we don't want to just like I I feel like I want to protect any of those titles so that we yeah. don't burn them off.
1: Chris, if we were too if, early, if this podcast was uh, a movie about us crash landing and washing ashore on a desert island, Chris would absolutely mm-hmm. be in charge of the rationing because he is very mindful of not overloading on a certain thing and leaving things for later, and it is an essential aspect of this because I would be. That's why we haven't done Mother yet. I would be Millhouse falling asleep in the bottom of the cooler with all the empty chip bags around me. And where would we be then? So, yes.
0: Yes. We'll do it eventually, we promise. And again, it'll be kind of like an experiment episode. So we're excited to do that when we do that. But it's coming. Yes, agreed. It's coming. Uh, Another question that I was surprised by the number that we got because I don't think we got it in the first mailbag is would we ever do an animated movie? We probably had about a dozen people asking us this. Uh,
1: It's not that we hate... such an
0: interesting question. Yeah,
1: it's not that we don't like animated movies as a genre. I would love to do an animated movie. Finding one that fits our rubric is tough. Because if you have an animated movie that's getting a lot of buzz for... uh, Like, a, a lot of legit Best Picture buzz it's gotten in historically it's gotten Mm -hmm. in beauty and the beast
0: or it's gotten somewhere. It's It's also like the nineties thing of when the musical comedy score category existed, kept something from like hunchback, um, being a potential, right. Um, conversation for us. There is one. And a few of our listeners actually offered this up as an answer. And this might actually be an interesting movie to talk about because I've never, seen it so maybe we could do this as an episode it's the good dinosaur oh that's an interesting one a movie that we actually forget but also forget that no it was not an animated feature nominee
1: right so in that case the the oscar hopes would be the low ceiling of the animated feature category like Mm -hmm. not even like because nobody really ever thought that like the good. I mean, I guess, you know, in the longer, longer, longer look, Hope Springs Eternal for all Pixar movies, that they could end yeah. up Best Picture nominees. But, like, I think by the time The Good Dinosaur even, like, made it to audiences, the
0: the ceiling on it was animated feature. But,
1: yeah, that's a possibility yeah. for sure. Yeah.
0: Um. And I mean, like, maybe that would lead to a larger conversation about Pixar. Pixar definitely has two original movies coming out next year. I'm really curious to see what that looks like in terms of Oscar with them. Yeah, for sure. I also just think that, like, these more isolated categories might be a little trickier for what we do here. Um, But, like, maybe animated would be a fun experiment at some point. Uh some people asked us about doing a foreign language film, which the way that foreign language is nominated by submissions and then you have committees, it fe- that feels like while there's things that might apply to it or maybe say God forbid Pain and Glory gets absolutely nothing right. this year. That feels like the case where it's like that's up for other nominations potentially beyond foreign language. Um that would make for an interesting conversation. But we hope we would never have to do a Pain and Glory episode because it's wonderful. Yeah. We want it yeah, let's 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 banish
1: all, all of those thoughts from our mind for the moment.
0: Yeah. Yes. Like things that for, in that case I think there's movies that Maybe we thought could be a foreign language, uh, best picture nominee or foreign language um, or now international film nominee. Whenever they fall out, it tends to be like, well, it didn't make this round of the Bake Off, right. or that. It, if you think about four months, three weeks, two days, if that's the correct title for that movie <laughs> that I don't like, right. like that was the movie that kind of created the executive committee procedure yeah. for foreign language. Um, yeah, so that might be a little bit more difficult for us in our format. We we strive to be as um,
1: eclectic and interesting in our movie choices as possible, while also realizing that, like, the sweet spot for this podcast undeniably falls between 1995 and 2013, let's say. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, and
0: re- with forgotten milk toast movies
1: right and and ultimately that's the majority of what you're gonna get from us and like and if that's not your thing we love you anyway and if it is your thing we love you more because you're good so um
0: thank you hooray, hooray. and then the other one that we got a lot of questions of we normally it would last time we didn't get a lot of prediction questions but people wanted us to talk about uh, predicting best picture this year are you ready i think it's really this time let's like write it down for posterity because we made our um
1: uh uh national board of review top 10 predictions and then i don't know and i bombed
0: i i was mostly being uh a bit of a pill in saying that the aeronauts would be in their top 10 uh but obviously i
1: haven't gone back into the episode to listen to it because like i i don't know how i did so i don't know maybe i did okay i'm sure i did terrible okay One of our listeners um, tweet that at us,
0: how we did. Yeah, how terrible we were at it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I feel pretty solid in at least the ten that I would predict. Oh, wow. I think I would say nine of these are getting through, and then if there would be a tenth... Okay,
1: well, I'm a little bit less sure, so maybe let's start with me. I have six that are, like, very solid, right? Where uh, it's Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story... Parasite, nineteen seventeen, and JoJo Rabbit. I think those are like six very solid best picture nominees, and it would be very surprising to me if any of them missed.
0: And then, I have all of those as well. I would say JoJo Rabbit is like eight or ninth for me.
1: See, I think we we
0: differ on we differ on JoJo Rabbit a lot, actually. Um I just see all of the gas in that bag being kind of let out already. See... I don't know how people come around on that movie when it's, like, so far outside of the conversation. What I do think Jojo Rabbit has going for it that, like, is part of the reason why these are the Best Picture nominees that I think a lot of people can agree on is that... This calendar year is so short, and any movie that has the benefit of a guarantee that everybody will watch it has a better shot, and I think Jojo Rabbit is one of those movies. I
1: will also say that the SAG Ensemble nomination is a great indicator of where things are moving for this movie. I think it will Mm -hmm. absolutely get a PGA nomination and I do think it has a really strong shot at Taika Waititi getting a Director's Guild nomination. It'll also get a Writer's Guild nomination, unless for some reason it's uneligible because the Writer's Guild is...
0: Uh, The list came out and I do believe that it is eligible.
1: Okay, so it's going to get a Writer's Guild nomination, a Producer's Guild nomination, and I do think it stands... A better than 50 50 chance of a Directors Guild nomination. And I think once those are all handed out, I think you're going to see a much more solid placement for JoJo Rabbit in that list.
0: But that's just me. I don't we'll think see. it will be a director or screenplay nominee at Oscar. And that's where I think some of the weakness for this movie kind of lies. Even DGA, you're right about that, that they're more idiosyncratic and they might, they usually have the curveballs or at least different curveballs than Oscar yes. so it's like I'm coming around to your thought on that but it, it just seems to be one of the weaker nominees to me um, but that said I think it is definitely a best picture nominee I think it's a movie that everybody will see and like you can't really underestimate the benefit of that this year
1: so for the rest of it then I feel like it will get two or three nominees it's set, it feels like this might be an eight year rather than a nine year but like who the fuck knows what mm-hmm. that means I think you'd get two out of two or three of this list which t- for me is The Farewell, Richard Jewell, Little Women which I think is trending so down but I still think it could be one of those like it gets best picture and like one other nomination and like that's it kind of movies.
0: Yeah, I think we were uh, that's that's that or Jojo Rabbit are my 8th or ninth slot. Yeah. And I think uh, I think we're looking at like the level of the nominations that if Beale Street could talk, though, that was not a Best Picture nominee because that is bullshit. Yeah. Um, or like The Post. Um, the other two that I have well, wait, I, I that still would have, be. Sorry, oh, okay,
1: go ahead. I just I caveat it in the middle of my list, which I should know I should not do because then it I, I lose the power that way. Um, I think Joker is a worst case scenario, but I think it's there. I think. I do too. I was higher on Two Popes before. The the SAG nominations came out, because SAG, historically, much, much friendlier to Netflix movies, and that Two Popes was completely blanked, probably owes to its late-in-the-year placement, because SAG is much, much less friendly to Mm late-in-the-year movies, but also... That's like that's the excuse for all the late-in-the-year movies, and like that's all well and good that that's an understandable excuse, but ultimately the result is little the same.
0: Little Women wasn't late in the year. They started screening for SAG before they screened for anybody. Right,
1: I didn't say Little Women. Um, but I think it's bad for Two Popes that Two Popes didn't get anything from SAG, and I really, really am bummed that Knives Out didn't get the ensemble nomination that I thought it was going to get from SAG because it was trending so positively up until then. It was making the AFI list. Yeah. It made the NBR list. It you know was a Globe nominee. It would have been a major sign for it
0: to get that ensemble nomination that it could be Oscar nominated somewhere. I'm still optimistic. That people that are voting for these awards are considering that movie at all. I'm still optimistic. I'm still holding out
1: some hope that Knives Out nabs that eighth or ninth spot. But it's it is
0: you know wishful thinking. Two Popes is the one that would be my number ten slot right now, and my holdout for that is that I think. We always talk about the BAFTA vote or the British contingent. And I think a that's point. a movie that will benefit from I that. I agree. Um, just because of the nature of what it is and, like, the rest of the lineup. Um, you could say that about 1917, which, all good and true. But I do think that The Two Pups is that kind of movie. Yeah. The one movie that is in my ten that I feel fairly confident of, past those, like, top six, mm-hmm. um, that you didn't mention is Ford v. Ferrari. I think you're going to have a lot of branches that are going... I I think that movie's going to surprise with quite a few nominations. That
1: Christian Bale nomination at SAG bummed me out so hard, because every year, it seems, I get to the point where I'm reminded that Christian Bale's probably going to get nominated. And up until that point, I was like, yeah, but like... Are people really impressed by what Christian Bale does anymore? Isn't it old hat? Isn't it the same old... Here's what
0: they're impressed by, and this is where I become a jerk a little bit. Here's what they're impressed by with Christian Bale in that movie. Whenever a heterosexual man exhibits sarcasm (laughs) in a movie, it is seen as this high entertainment. And I just think that he's miscast. I really wish that Matt Damon and Josh Lucas swapped roles in that movie, it's not a movie I'm all that impressed by, and I I don't like it. I haven't seen but it But I yet. do think it's a Best Picture nominee.
1: I like James Mangold. I would like for James Mangold to have a Best Picture nominee on his resume at some point. I just wish we could all go into the past and make it Girl Interrupted. But... Hmm. Girl Interrupted, the one movie that straight male critics will never talk about when talking about James Mangold. Oh, they will talk about Wolverine being a fucking Western. They'll talk Ugh. about Copland. They'll talk about what other James Mangold? 310 to Yuma, which I do love, so, like, whatever. Um, but, like, any excuse to mention any James Mangold movie about men. And no, nobody wants to mention Girl Interrupted, which was a movie that, like, you know, it's critical reputation isn't sterling it was basically just sort of like knocked as being you know angelina jolie's performance and and nothing else but that's a very good movie and shut up
0: <laughs> <laughs> basically, basically. I'm, i don't know if i'm fully there yet to pull the trigger on uh, predicting christian bale even though again i am bad at predicting i'm getting closer and to partly it. i'm i'm getting closer I'm to the still pulling holding out hope that the last That the person that's going to get that last minute like, like, you know, thrust into it where we thought they were out is Adam Sandler. Oh, that's. I mean, that has the sort of that has the Michael Shannon sheen to it,
1: right? Like, that's Michael Shannon famously two times has come from Mm -hmm. a Globe SAG shutout to get an Oscar nomination, and. That seems Sandler seems to fit that bill more than most so wait so what are your five then what do you think the five for best actor are going to be
0: aside from that slot which I think is probably Adam Sandler or um, I mean maybe it's Robert De Niro um, or Adam Sandler or Christian Bale I think that's probably the ones that are fighting for it obviously Driver, Phoenix I think Antonio Banderas is going to do just fine I agree with that I absolutely agree with that um, and I guess maybe the other one might be Jonathan Price. All right, so here's... A... Maybe, maybe it's like four people fighting for two slots for me. I don't, I want, here's the thing about Taron Egerton that I will say... It's not happening. I, I don't think that it anywhere near stacks up to the quality of performance uh, as those other movies, or uh, with the exception of Joker, The quality of the movie, let alone the performance, and I. But the thing is, like, a lot of people are not. A lot of people in that lineup, and a lot of other male actors, are not doing any campaigning, and he is doing absolutely everything. He's doing, and I think this is a very short calendar year. If this is, if he gets nominated, that's why, not because it's a biopic, not because of all of the things. The top reason will be he is. He has a lot of competition. That is not kissing babies. I just and not can't showing up to lunches. Even and he's doing all of it. Even with that being the case,
1: I so here's how I'm seeing it. I think you're right. Driver, Phoenix, Banderas, solid. After that, there are two slots that, for my estimation, seven actors still have a shot for those two shots. Yeah, I think if I were making bets, I would say DiCaprio and Bale are who I would probably put my money on. But, like, you're right about Adam Sandler. Ultimately, Robert De Niro is the lead actor in the front runner for Best Picture. You can never discount that. I think Price will get a BAFTA bump. You're right. You're right about Edgerton campaigning his ass off. There's still Eddie Murphy to consider, which, like, mm-hmm. I think people should. I think he's really, really good in Dolomite. I think I like the movie. I
0: mean, if he wins that globe, I mean, that might be a sign.
1: Very well possible. Um... And I I I liked I think I liked Dolomite the movie a little bit better than I liked the performance, which is not to like discount the performance, but I think it's actually a really good movie that should probably be considered in a lot of categories. But like it's right now, Netflix is at best number three, probably number four priority in terms of campaigning. And
0: like that's get Ruthie Carter that second Oscar oh
1: I swear to God I mean she's wonderful those costumes are fantastic but anyway I think I would say I think DiCaprio has shown himself to be a lot more solid in this category I think I thought he was going to be what De Niro has ended up being which is the lead yeah. actor in a highly like in a major contender who's who's getting
0: passed over for other things in his movie and I'm happy in the movie that like it feels but doesn't it feel like nobody's really Talking about DiCaprio in that movie, I love that performance. I've gone as far as saying it's my favorite performance of his. It might
1: be my favorite performance of his it, I really, it might really be love it. for me,
0: and I'm not a fan um, of he's his great. I just watched it again last night yeah. um, but he seems so far removed from what people talk about when they talk about that movie. agreed, but
1: someone's responding to it because he's getting you know
0: everywhere All these right right and maybe that's just a sign of the strength of the movie right i do feel like this but he's doing nothing for campaigning too like it feels yeah. like he's the one that's doing the least like less than de niro one more sidebar before we actually get into the questions cuz i know that like
1: <laughs> we're still in the like preamble to this
0: imagine we're in the
1: weeds imagine so we've mentioned before on this podcast about who's going to be the villain of this oscar season and i had sort of presented Uh, Jojo Rabbit as the possibility for being the villain of this Oscar season. And in that context, that whoever the villain would end up being would get a boost, sort of like Green Book did last year, from the more obstinate members of the Academy who resent being told what to do by brats on Twitter. Which, like, not inconsiderable. Um, Both the number of brats on Twitter and also the obstinance of these Academy members, right? So, Here's what I'm pointing out to you, because ultimately, at this point, Jojo Rabbit, while not being a favorite of those brats on Twitter, is also, like, nobody's really talking about it. It hasn't created a controversy the way that Green Book did, which I think that controversy really went a long way to helping Green Book. I say now, Richard Jewell could be that movie because that's where the controversy is happening right now with in terms of the um, the Olivia Wilde character and the accuracy and whether that's like character assassination by saying that her character slept with somebody for a story yada yada and I think if there is a pile up on Richard Jewell as a you know as a bad movie with bad intentions and Clint Eastwood is doing a bad thing I think you could see a backlash forming from those same kind of academy members who are like, "Don't tell me I can't like Green Book."
0: Thoughts? I I think Kathy Bates is 100 percent getting nominated. She feels like the only person, the only performance <laughs> I've seen this year that has like Oscar clip yeah. right there. Even though I think it's a bad performance. Well, even that SAG, and I think snub that's is... the end of the line for that movie. You think so? Okay. The SAG snub is because they accidentally right. submitted her as I a lead. I was just about to say, the SAG snub. Being she would otherwise be nominated. Right. Exactly. That's why I... Nicole got nominated my thing is everybody's kind of forgetting that joker is about to return in a big way joker is going to be the villain of this oscar season and it might fall on joaquin phoenix because i think there's a strong possibility that he's about to steamroll um and i think uh, anybody who is discounting the chance for todd phillips to be to land a best director nomination Might be in for a rude In the
1: game. year after Peter Farrelly uh, got nominated, yeah, you're you're well. You're Peter wrong. Farrelly
0: didn't get nominated, oh, right? Right. But, like, God, so stupid. Todd Phillips has like a a lot more people singing his praises for what he finger quotes achieved, yeah. and that movie also made five times what Green Book did. I think people need to be prepared for Todd Phillips to be a nominee. I think Joker's going to be the villain.
1: Well, we all hold our breath and cross our fingers that that won't be the case, but we'll see. Um, so should we move into Zimelda? Actual questions! Yay. We
0: love you guys. We tried to get... Uh, you guys... <laughs> a lot of people ask those questions, so we spent some time on them. We did. What can we say? Yes.
1: Okay, so um, we're going to start off with a question from Marina, who asks... How do you guys decide slash organize which movies you'll do on the podcast and when? Chris, you being our main (laughs) organizational uh, guru here, I'll give you the first crack at this.
0: I mean, it's kind of shifted a little bit because we're, you know, going on three years into this, or two years Two years um, into this podcast. Originally, like, we tried to not overlap years at first and, like, hit every year that we wanted to hit. Now it's kind of like, well, we don't want to talk about the same people too soon to each other. Or, like, if we're going to revisit a year that we've maybe recently discussed, it's, like, how much of the Oscar conversation will it actually allow us to talk about, or it's like, say we do a 2005 movie and it allows us to talk about that best actor race. Maybe the next 2005 movie we do is closer to like best picture, best director, just so that we're not like having the same conversation over and over. That's our number one um, concern
1: is we don't want to end up repeating ourselves too much. So we want to spread out talking points more than anything else in terms Mm -hmm. of organizing it every, you know, two or three weeks. We'll, you know, stay on the call after the after the episode records, and we'll hash out usually about two or three weeks of the next few. We'll talk about guests we want to have on. We will talk about, you know, movies. We'll talk about possible, you know, series that we want to do going forward. We've got a lot of really cool plans in 2020 for you guys. So, like, mm-hmm. very excited about that. And, yeah, and... Chris has the is the keeper of the spreadsheet and we have it That's all. That's where
0: I become a little bit more dictatorial. Thank God, because like <laughs>
1: I would not be and it would be loosey goosey and chaotic if I were the There's
0: most also like it. a balance to like the type of movies that we're talking about. Like we as much as we love doing those like rare you totally forgot about this movie, this movie has no existence in the culture I do whatsoever, de porte episodes. Do love those. Yeah. We can't do those every week. Um, I would do them every we week if I
1: could. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, like, we can't talk about Meryl the every, the better. every yes, week. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> um, yeah, much as I would also love to talk about Meryl every week. And we could probably find enough angles to talk about her every week if we really wanted to, but yeah. Yeah. That said, Absolutely. Um, at some point, we're going to end up doing like three Michelle Pfeiffer movies in a row because we have <laughs> so many of them lined up. It's very funny. Yeah,
0: yeah Michelle Pfeiffer is one of those that we're like, we we want to save them. We want to save them. But it's like, but we have like six of them. Um, yes. So, yeah. Our next question is from Kyle. What is your shortest turnaround time between seeing a movie the first and second time? I saw a Young Adult twice in 24 hours.
1: Was this in a theater, or was this in a theater? Okay. So if it's in a theater, I think, yeah, I think twice in a twenty four thirty six hour span is probably the the tightest that I've ever done. And that would be I think my record holder is actually anchorman for that, where I saw it with one group of friends one day and then a different group of friends the next day.
0: Um, it makes sense that they're comedies, yeah. right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I also feel like if we're talking about on DVD, there are certain movies that I've watched immediately after I was done watching it the first time, either to like to sort of linger on things that I might have missed, or in the case of the one that I always remember doing this for, is the Royal Tenenbaums, as I just wanted to like re-enter that weird sort of tonal space again and just mm-hmm. like marinate in it because the first time you watch the Royal Tenenbaums, you really There's there's so much to take in that you feel like you've missed a lot of it, and then so immediately I put it right back in and I watched it again,
0: and I was I feel like we have the widest answers, but I'm gonna sink this even lower. Mm. I definitely watched back to back twice Harold and Maude the first Ah, time I saw it as a high schooler weeping my face off. Yeah, yeah.
1: those are good. That's when you because it's like it's an immediate recognition that like oh I love this movie is that like I need to watch it right again.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Our wonderful friend of the podcast, Oliver Sava, um, asks us, what is your favorite movie snack, either at home or at the theater? Two very different considerations.
0: Um, booze. Definitely yeah? <laughs> booze. <laughs> I don't know. It's nice. It's nice to have like a glass of wine
1: at the movie. That's, that's a good one. I never think of that. I never think to to use the movies as a as an excuse for boozing although i probably should um i think it's a very different consideration when i'm at home when i'm at home it's i don't really have a go-to i really like to enjoy you know if not a meal that like something like something that i certainly couldn't have in a theater where if it's you know if it's pizza if it's wings if it's a sub something like that something like nothing like you know nice i'm not gonna like use movie night as my night to make like a salmon dinner
0: but um my husband and i sometimes like to have a charcuterie board at home because it's just like you can just reach out without having to like that is distract from the movie that is the most my husband and i answer but yes that's totally correct that's i hate you so much
1: <laughs> listen as the single one here i get to be bitter and bitchy um In terms of theater snacks, I do have my very solid go-to, which is a medium popcorn with, I mean, whatever, soda's immaterial. I'll do, you know, whatever I'm in the mood for as as a drink or a soda. But medium popcorn with the butter topping and then a box of Reese's Pieces that I dump into the popcorn before the movie starts. Usually yeah. usually try and wait till the theater gets dark to hide my shame but sometimes I will just shamelessly in front of no, everybody's chocolate eyeballs. chocolate on popcorns amazing. So, and sometimes I'll do it with like peanut butter M&Ms, those are actually really good too, but I do love Reese's pieces. So that's my like classic movie theater snack. What has in in uh, interfered with this, not interfered. Um impinged. What am I looking for? Um Anyway, Limited. <laughs> what has threatened this snack's placement on my list lately is there's a theater in New York City that it's the one theater I think in New York City besides um, Alamo and Nighthawk that will deliver your snack to your
0: seat. You just have to order it at the snack Oh, I bar. hate that. I kind of like it. I will say I kind of hate it there's people walking in front of me the whole damn movie well see
1: but this is you have to order it from the snack bar so it's only happening during all, almost all food delivery is done while the previews are still are still running or in like just the very beginning of the movie
0: and also I've, that's fine I've trained myself to I'm the to monster that's that. usually on their phone during the trailers <laughs>
1: but so the one theater here that does this where you order at the snack bar and then they deliver it to you has um... oh no wait I'm confusing two things They have good shit, too. Like, their shit is, like, that's, they have, like, little pretzel bites and whatnot. Well, no, what I was thinking of was when I was back home in Buffalo, and the Regal back in Buffalo do churro bites, like, little freshly made churro bites that are so fucking good that, like, I saw The Good Liar when I was back in Buffalo, and I had the little churro bites. Fun movie! Yes, but not as good as the churros. So I will say, in that night, (laughs) churros won. Helen Mirren in The Good Liar 2 and everything else about The Good Liar after that.
0: I will say to put a pin on this question. I do like maximizing my opportunity at a Coke freestyle machine mm-hmm. to be as difficult as possible in getting the most like random sodas. Like lately I have been mix? very much Huh? How many do you mix into one? Oh, I do not mix. That's disgusting. Oh, I, see. Uh, I get one very specific soda that I could not get anywhere else from but a coke free style machine lately i have not been so difficult and i've been getting diet caffeine free coke vanilla but like i like having the like Fanta zero <laughs> lemon raspberry like it just doesn't exist if it's not in one of those my things. go-to
1: delicious. my go-to at that machine is the cherry vanilla coke zero i rarely i rarely stray I don't from like that i like the cherry vanilla i like the cherry vanilla
0: It tastes like melted icy to me.
1: Yeah, that's fine.
0: (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Joseph asks us, have you ever seen the Canadian movie Water referenced in our intro? I have not.
1: I have not. You know, of course, my great shame with the movie Water, when we first talked about it, I believe on our Ask the Dust episode, because we were talking about Salma Hayek and why we have that clip in our intro and yada yada, and I made reference to white nonsense... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when we were talking about it, because it was a Canadian movie. And it's movie. not a movie about white no, people. No, not at all! What a fucking idiot I am! And I should have known that, because it was a foreign language movie. But in my mind, I was like, oh, it's a Canadian movie, and it's probably, like, French-Canadian, and it's probably just, like, white nonsense from Quebec. And like, It's a
0: Deepa movie, right? Yeah, I didn't realize. I'm a dummy. I'm sorry. I mean, th- I do think that Water makes, like, a perfect, like, bonus episode for us to do at some yeah, point. Yeah,
1: it's true. It's a good point.
0: Um but no I haven't seen it like that was before the time I mean those were the years I wasn't living where I live now and it was like harder to get especially foreign language films so it's like that was before I could really be an Oscar completist Um, while we were still talking about these movies so that's that's on the back burner of ketchup one day one day we will
1: do that All right. Kevin asks us what year would you consider doing another retrospective on we have considered this We've talked about it. We have our next this. miniseries. I don't think is going to be a year. I don't want to say what it is yeah. yet. But although we may have mentioned it before, um, but our next miniseries will not We've be thrown around ideas. Will not be about a year. But if we did, what would we want it to be on? Chris, you get first crack. Uh,
0: well, we're about to do a 2002 episode, but I feel like even though it's so close to 2003, 2002 has a huge bench that we could eventually do 2002. Um, and we haven't had that. This will only be our second episode on a 2002 movie. And 2002 Um, is one of
1: those years that has a solid narrative as a year, because that was the year that mm -hmm. like almost everything was a December release that got almost everything that got nominated in the major categories was a December release. So,
0: you know, and of course all loads, all roads lead back to the hours. So we would talk about the hours. Fuck yeah.
1: You kidding me? Absolutely. Um, I think that's a good one. the The year that I always think of as being most similar to two thousand three in terms of all the big buzzy shit, like crashed and burned, and so we ended up getting a very eclectic Oscar set of Oscar nominations because of that. That's why we ended up being like, oh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Lot and two movies from the same director. Okay. Um, <laughs> but we've done a few of the big 2000 failures already. We've done a pay it forward yeah. episode we've done in all the, Pretty there are some
0: episodes. years that we've, we've done a lot of episodes on that. It would feel would make it go out of the running to do that
1: year. I think another possibility is 1996, because that was the year again, that's a year with a good narrative, which is the Mm -hmm. big indie revolution where, you know, Secrets and Lies and Fargo and Breaking the Waves and Miramax and all that sort of stuff um, really took over what were supposed to be the big studio stuff. The th- interesting thing about 96 is there are some big studio failures that year that still ended up managing to get Oscar nominations, in some cases, major Oscar nominations, in the case of The Crucible. But um, so we wouldn't be able to do a lot of those. And so tr- trying to craft that year's narrative while not doing that, we could still, there's still like everyone says, I love you. And. Um, Some other stuff from that year that didn't get anything at all. But
0: Mm -hmm. there are possibilities. But
1: yeah, look for our next miniseries on a person and not a year.
0: Maybe it'll be... We did our last miniseries in May. Maybe we'll think about planning on doing it in May. Yeah,
1: maybe it'll be an annual thing.
0: Cool. We will see. Our next question comes from another friend of the podcast, Thomas Farnon williams asking one of my favorite questions that we were asked. Mm. If you could recast any This Had Oscar Buzz movie with RuPaul's Drag Race Queens, which queen and which movie would you use? Thomas, however, gave an option that I don't think you and I will be able to top, but I love the (laughs) challenge. Thomas said, The Paperboy with Katya in Nicole Kidman's role and Jasmine Masters in Macy Gray's role. That fully made me scream out loud, Thomas, and I love you.
1: It is really. They say perfect. he dragged
0: his intestines five miles from Jasmine Masters, would be crazy. And I oop indeed.
1: Um, yeah, I think I, I, I can only think of Katya in her uh, that beach tan lady uh, get up from that one challenge as Nicole Kidman, which is, you know, perfect.
0: Katya would be so happy to say if anybody's gonna piss on him, it's gonna be me. Uh, yeah. She'd be so Yeah exactly. It, it would she would achieve her highest form. And
1: then Katya could be Do obsessed you have about another a- movie that isn't um, contact, even though Contact is wonderful and fully
0: <laughs> deserving of obsession. <laughs>
1: Yes, I do have one. I have a really good one. I would recast Ladies in Lavender with Ginger Minge and Kennedy Davenport from Season 7. I guess we're sticking with Season 7. As the old lady, the sort of like the, the bitter old ladies. And uh, with Mrs. Kasha Davis as Dorcas, the Miriam Margulies character. And featuring Violet Tchotchke as the detestable Natasha McElhone character. So, truly... Truly a full... I, my, my heart would be full.
0: Well Jeez. done to even like, stick in the same season of Queen. Yeah, right? that's what I mean. That's yeah, amazing. we're really... We're... Good job. Mm. I did not do that. Okay, let's hear it. However, the movie that I chose that I would recast with... Drag Race queens. I chose the Evening Star. Yes. Shirley MacLaine's Aurora Greenway would be played by Bob the drag queen. Yes, I love um, her nemesis Patsy, the slutty rich woman, always in some type of power suit, would be played by Detox. Oh my God, her grand, <laughs> her sobbing granddaughter Melanie would be played by Laganja Estranja. Sure. Perfect. Yes, feeling very attacked. Her. Her sweetheart friend who is just trying to claim her own life and importance, Rosie, would be played by Monique Hart. Wow.
1: This is really, and really thoughtful casting.
0: <laughs> I thought I thought about this long and hard, <laughs> but I'm not done. Garrett Breedlove, her haughty ex astronaut lover, would be played by Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Truly perfect. I love it love it! Ah, excellent. I'm so glad I didn't do Ladies in Lavender, because I was like, well, we have to do a strong female cast to answer this question.
1: Yeah, I found one. I found a strong female cast, and it's Judy Dench and Maggie Smith.
0: Um... uh,
1: Rob asks, if you could take any of the movies you have talked about on the podcast, minus Hairspray, and made a one... Also Rent. Yes, I I made note of that, that Rent is also a musical that we've done. Uh, If you could take any of the movies we've talked about and make a 100% serious musical about it and have it be good, which one would you choose? I have options, but I'm going to have you go first.
0: My answer, maybe it wouldn't be hundred percent serious per se because it would be musical comedy but I actually think it's complicated would make a great musical it's a good point it's a lot of roles a lot of farce. it's a star vehicle yep. like you know exactly where the songs are gonna go yep,
1: exactly oh I love that I love that plus it's three leads and so I also I feel like you you know each of them gets their own little moment to shine. That's fantastic. All right. Yeah. I would say I have a few choices, one of which being, I honestly feel like Tulip Fever would be better as a musical than it was as a straight drama. Oh, interesting. I think you could have a really sort of like lush and kind of like, especially if you gave it like a very specific musical style, sort of like
0: Hades. Like an Adam Gettle school. Yeah.
1: Something like that. Just like it really sort of like, you know, drill down in terms of a specific kind of, you know, pastiche. And then like... Just sort of, like, let it rip. And, like, I'm thinking of this, like, the big, like, tulip auction scene could be, like, an amazing, you know, everybody on the stage Mm -hmm. kind of a... Kind of a deal. I think that would be good. I also feel like if you could pick a lane for the family stone to be a jukebox musical for someone like sort of like how Waitress was just like, hey, Sarah Bareilles, like go to town. Like that's not a jukebox musical in Waitress, obviously, but like something right. where like you would choose like all of like an artist of a distinct style. That's sort of. The, and I'm thinking like, and maybe I'm only thinking of it as a jukebox musical because there's a great jukebox scene with Sarah Jessica Parker in it towards the end. But like that's where my brain
0: went and my mind is immediately going to Nora Jones but that's probably because I was watching Made in Manhattan before we got on mic and there's like five Nora Jones song cues.
1: But I do feel like there is one objectively correct answer to this and I will just throw it out there and say that the right answer to this is Ricky and the Flash
0: I mean Ricky and the Flash it wouldn't be, be necessarily an original musical but you could be like hey Jenny Lewis write us a dozen more songs yeah. and it would be so yep, good absolutely, so good yep. We both have Merrill answers. Yeah, I love that. It's a good point. All right, Megan asks us. I read the book Down in Dirty Pictures after you recommended, after you mentioned it on an episode, and really enjoyed it. Thank you for that, Joe. Um, what other books about movies or other topics would you recommend for fans of this? Had Oscar Buzz, I am a big fan of Mark Harris's Pictures at a Revolution, so good. which deals with the nineteen sixty-seven like kind of revolutionary year for movies that also like ended up being in the Oscar conversation, but also not because it talks about specifically that Best Picture lineup, which is Dr. Doolittle, that's where the knot comes in, Mm -hmm. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That's a really, really fascinating and in-depth book um, that I would recommend to you guys. Yeah, very good.
1: Excellent. I would say... Um, There's a precursor to Down and Dirty Pictures also by Peter Biskind, called Easy Riders Raging Bulls, which deals with the 1970s movie scene and the sort of um, the new wave of American uh, indie auteurs, which is like a really, really cool era. And also for Oscar purposes, um, Damien Bona's Inside Oscar is an invaluable resource and I've probably mentioned it on here before, it is very good it only, unfortunately it has it, it and its sequel only goes up through I want to say like 2000 maybe just 2000 um, but it's really really fantastic, tells tells the story of the Oscar year in a very kind of linear way in a way that like, you know it unfolds as a story which I, it was sort of how I like to remember Oscar years like that yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, Clayton asks, says, uh, Netflix recently opened, reopened New York City's Paris Theater, met with mixed response from film lovers. What do you make of studio-owned theaters?
0: Here's the thing I think about Netflix buying up these theaters. It is so competitive right now just for space for independent film in independent theaters. I would much rather Netflix have their own theaters where they can be showing their movies which like (laughs) I guess it's going back to the days and this is where maybe some people's concerns are. Back in the early days of like the 30s and 40s when studios owned movie theaters and like just booked their stuff in there and like the problems that came with that. But like when you look at some of these independent theaters and they are booked solid with for Netflix movies and it makes it more difficult yeah. for movies like Portrait of a Lady on Fire to compete for screens so they have to do these bonkers bullshit releases right. for movies. I don't think it really serves those movies. And you look at something like Clemency which it's like when can we program this movie right. to not have to deal with com- competition for screens and they book a shitty weekend for it. Like, I don't think it serves the larger community for uh, you know... To not be able to compete, um, I agree
1: with that. I agree with all of that, and I think you're right. I think the, there's there's an antitrust caveat to all of this, and I will not discount that. I think that is valid and real. I also feel like there are antitrust concerns in the entertainment industry that are far more pressing than that. When you think of you know things like Disney and Fox and whatever, and mm-hmm. like so you know bigger fish to fry there. I'm
0: more concerned about Disney than Netflix. Yeah,
1: exactly. And also I Disney feel Disney like...
0: has terrible practices with uh, practices and like negotiation tactics for like booking theaters and chains and well, stuff yeah. that's making it really hard for movies to be seen because there's no screens available. Uh,
1: yeah, there are, there are the, the far-reaching implications of that I think are are much worse than the far-reaching implications of Netflix at least so far. The other thing is on a very practical issue the Paris Theater was closed, had closed, and was, you know, in very, in all likelihood, not going to reopen. We've had other indie theaters in New York City close uh, recently. The Zigfelds, the you know, great and wonderful and historical Zigfeld Theater, um, the the Lincoln Plaza Theater, and ultimately, I want these places open. And if Netflix, having the deep pockets at the moment, is what's going to keep them open, absolutely freaking lootly I will take that and the fact mm-hmm. that they can program movies that like right you know it's not like they were programming triple frontier at the paris you know what i mean like they're still programming yeah. movies that fit the general I mean they
0: probably will they're going to have to fill it with something in april sure
1: sure um but i think at least for the moment it was playing the kinds of movies that you would that you know you would see at the paris and That is a, it's an audience that deserves to be served, that is a house that deserves to be filled, and, um, you know, anything to keep, I think for as much as we, you know, in many ways justifiably point to Netflix as hastening the death of theatrical film viewing as a thing, um... I certainly don't feel like they've turned an about face and have now decided that they value the theatrical experience. But as long as they are, you know, holding that stance, if they can also keep some of these smaller theaters mm-hmm. open for, you know, the time being, then it's not. And a if bad having thing. their
0: own theaters means they don't have to hog up space in other independent yeah. art houses, I'm all for yeah, it. Agreed. Ian asks us, has there ever been a title you've discussed that you think is better than the eventual best picture winner? I think we have quite a few. I we definitely actually. have a few. I have I have multiple examples. I I have I have some as well. I went all the way back to the beginning years of our I podcast. Tell me if you think there's any that I have not put in here. All right. I think 1995, The Year of Braveheart both Get Shorty, Get Shorty and How to Make an American Quilt are better than Braveheart. I definitely had Get
1: Shorty written down but How to Make an American Quilt is also better than Braveheart you're right.
0: But Braveheart's also Terrible. a nightmare. Yes. Um, 1999 American Beauty, I think both Bringing Out the Dead and Anywhere But Here are better.
1: Oh that's interesting I I am going to have to at some point go bite the bullet and watch American Beauty again and realize, figure out how I feel about it now.
0: I was. I think it's a really well made movie, but like, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it feels kind of sitcom to me now. Also, just those are two really, really great movies. I love Anywhere But Here and Bringing up. the
1: I Dead. I was famously less rosy on Bringing Out the Dead than you were. I did very much enjoy Anywhere But Here.
0: 2001, obviously, riding in cars with boys is better than a beautiful Agreed. mind. Uh, 2003, I am the noted, not non-fan of Lord of the Rings, I think In the Cut is way better than Return of the King. Yeah, I'm
1: not going to go with you there, but I, I hear you. Um,
0: 2004, the year of Million Dollar Baby, both Huckabees and Door in the Floor yep. are better than Million Dollar Baby. I both those down,
1: absolutely. Those are my strongest, uh, well, two of the three of my strongest
0: Uh, 2005 which we've done a lot of movies on every single one of them including (laughs) An Unfinished Life is better than Crash the one I had written down was The Family
1: Stone but yeah you're right
0: Uh, I mean, I think literally every 2005 movie we've done is better than Crash, but that's not really saying much. Same with Braveheart. And then 2008, Cadillac Records, I think, is better than Slumdog Millionaire. I don't like Slumdog Millionaire.
1: I like Slumdog Millionaire, and I like Cadillac Records, and I would need to see Slumdog Millionaire again recently in order to make that judgment, but I thought about that one. The other one that I have that you don't mention is we've talked about... One movie that was my number one movie of that year, which is two thousand nines, where the wild things are. So as much as I really loved the Hurt Locker, I would say that Where the Wild Things Are is better than the Hurt Locker because it's better than everything I saw that year.
0: That definitely got some consideration for me, just because that is a, a legitimately great movie that we've talked yes. about.
1: Yes. All right, Sarah gives us a very clean and uh, and easy directive to play. Mary Fuck Kill with Sony Pictures Classics, Fox
0: Searchlight and Focus Features. This is v- Sarah. I would like to point out that you know us incredibly well. Yeah. <laughs> this is a wonderful question.
1: It is, but it took me a grand total of a second and a half but... to do it because I feel like these fall into very clear categories for me. I don't know whether it was as easy for you.
0: Um it was pretty easy for me. What did you get? Okay, I'm I'm obviously marrying focus features, especially just in that opening wah intro. It's very calming. I feel like it would be an atmosphere that would not be stuffy, but would be very supportive and you know wonderful lovely Uh, I would fuck searchlight because like they're a little more daring sometimes you know but like maybe a little too daring like you don't want to be stuck with Lucy in the sky forever (laughs) but like maybe every once in a while you want to like go pay a visit to the favorite Um, and then I would kill Sony Pictures Classics because they sometimes bury their movies sorry it's true I wouldn't... Justice for Frankie. I wouldn't feel great about killing Sony Pictures Classics, because they've given me a lot. But yeah, I think you're... And to be fair, if you gave them the answer of fuck to Sony Pictures Classics, at least on the fact that they have all of Almodovar's movies... Yes. It would be a good That's a justifiable answer.
1: Also, Fox Searchlight might not be around forever, so get, get it while you can, is the other thing. Yes. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think you do. I think what you said are is, is the correct distinctions. I think you you marry focus features for all the reasons that you said. You fuck Fox Searchlight, and for me, I regrettably have to put Sony Pictures Classics down humanely.
0: Yes. All right. So the next one, which again is another listener that knows us very well, Alex. I would like to thank you for offering us up a game suggestion. So even though this is a mailbag episode, guess what? We still have a game. I'm going to challenge Joseph based off of Alex's suggestion alone. So Joseph, Alex says, I love the IMDb game and other games you play with IMDb plot keywords. I was wondering... If you have ever considered using IMDb Parents Guide notes oh, no. for a movie as clues in a no. game, okay they describe the scenes that may not be appropriate for children: violence, sex, nudity, etc. I imagine they are user submitted, but I often get a kick out of them. Alex, I have thought of blindsiding Joe with this game before, but I appreciate you You've done it. coming forward and making me take this opportunity. So, Joseph, yes,
1: this is fantastic. This is a great idea.
0: I am just going to use This Had Oscar Buzz titles between this mailbag episode and the previous mailbag (laughs) episode, so I'm going to make it a little bit easier on you, and referring back to our previous episodes, just for your refresher, The Parent's Guide breaks things down by category. There's Sex and Nudity, Mm -hmm. Violence and Gore, Profanity, Alcohol, Drugs Mm -hmm. and Smoking, and then Frightening and Intense Scenes.
1: This is my favorite version of Trivial Pursuit ever, where those are the categories.
0: I know. Imagine, like, each of these has the piece yes, of your pie. Exactly. Um, uh, like, Sex and Nudity is purple, yep. Violence and Gore is orange. Yep. Um, it also has a spoiler section. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. You're going to get ten titles, once again, that we have done between mailbag episodes. And you're going to get three clues from the parent's guide. The third clue will either be the most obvious giveaway or it will be from the spoilers section not everything has answers in the spoilers section that's the thing and I have not broken these down for any type of grammatical changes because yes Alex you are right they are definitely user submitted and sometimes it's like a bullet point sometimes it's like here's a paragraph of one unbroken sentence so I've like tried to fix those I took out character names in a few places and just put pronouns are you ready I am Okay, your first title, first clue. Several scenes invo- involve wine or champagne.
1: Several scenes involve wine or champagne. Miss Sloan.
0: No. A pop singer is seen on stage in underwear. Um...
1: Ugh, why am I all of a sudden blanking on what we've done? Um... <laughs> A pop singer in their underwear. Uh,
0: pass. All right, pa- I do oh, also pre-de-porté. believe Miss might have been. No, not preda porte. Um, I think Miss Sloan was before the last okay. mailbag. I forget to be honest. Okay. <laughs> All right, your third clue. This is definitely from the spoiler section. A terrorist tries to assassinate the sheik via handgun.
1: Oh, um, salmon fishing in the Yemen.
0: Salmon Fishing in the Yemen is Who correct. Who was the pop
1: star in Salmon Fishing in the Yemen?
0: I don't remember. <laughs> Interesting question. Yeah. Um, your next one. First clue. A couple of times one nipple is seen very briefly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> See what I mean by some of these clues are hilarious. Um, A couple of times nipple. one nipple is seen very briefly porte. Okay. Your other clues for that would have been A woman's dress is loose and shows most of her breasts <laughs> And then the third one was In total at least a dozen women are seen naked Walking slowly on the runway <laughs> Alright, your third title The first clue is A man is forced to fight for his life In a comedic one-on-one showdown
1: Walter Mitty Secret Life of
0: Walter Mitty No second clue the forest in general is portrayed as creepy at night um
1: the forest in general
0: is portrayed as creepy at night
1: oh oh, it's like a haiku <laughs> it's like a haiku uh pan
0: pan is correct. Your third clue was he, I took out the character name, is intended to be a scary villain though for the most part he isn't that (laughs) imposing. During a dreamlike sequence however he is portrayed as a black cloud with glowing eyes that could frighten young viewers when he kills the main character's mother. Alright, your fourth one. Uh, First clue, there is an on-screen sudden heart attack. Oh. Bringing out the dead. No. Bloody faces caused by car accidents, violent police officers, gambling, and general beat-ups.
1: <laughs> general beat-ups.
0: General. Beat-ups. My
1: favorite character from uh, from Welcome to Marwin. General beat-ups. Um,
0: yep. Oh, that's the that's the drag queen um, <laughs> officer. It, because he's talking about his face beat. Like, the only <laughs> drag he does is just a, just full face.
1: Um, wait, read the clue one more time.
0: Sorry. Bloody faces caused by car accidents, violent police officers, gambling, and general beat-ups. Cadillac Records. Cadillac Records is correct. Your third clue would have been many characters smoke, drink, get <gasps> drunk, and act violent, what? perform stupid actions, and at least one character uses heroin.
1: man barbecue right, Becky did in the parental advisories for uh <laughs> for
0: IMDB your fifth title um character abuses prescription drugs scenes of drinking alcohol
1: gosh that's everything character abuses prescription drugs scenes of drinking alcohol um welcome to marwin
0: Welcome to Marwin is correct. Your second clue was illustrated breasts. (laughs) Your third clue is a man is beaten by a group of men. It's revealed to be a hate crime. (laughs) All right, number six. Several jokes about murder are made throughout. Oh, boy. Um, Several jokes about murder are made throughout.
1: Um. Gosh. Bringing Out the Dead?
0: No. Uh, Second clue. Various stories are discussed about violence, disease, etc. Some only appear in text. What? Um... Walter Mitty? No. Your third clue... Uh not from the spoiler section but still pretty specific. Okay. A man mentions he spent a naked weekend on a beach with an Italian woman. A man mentions he spent a naked weekend on a beach with an Italian woman. Um
1: wow, why am I not coming up with anything?
0: This I think might be the absolute hardest the one. Evening star? No, not The Evening Star. The movie you were looking for is Morning Glory. Oh, right.
1: That's the the, the Harrison Ford character
0: tells that story. You're right. (laughs) Stupid. Uh, Next one, you're, uh, what, uh, this is 7, I believe you're on the 7th movie, of 10. It is implied a woman is sleeping with other men for money. Well, it's implied, huh? Um, The Evening Star. No. Second clue. A man is given a pill and he begins to hallucinate. A man is is given a pill and he begins to hallucinate. Hallucinate. Walter Mitty. Incorrect. Your third clue uh, from the spoiler section, I believe. A rather eerie atmosphere throughout. A man sees hallucinates ghosts. Disorienting behavior from some characters. Oh, bringing out the dead. It is burning up. The dead. Okay. Um okay, next one. First clue, your eighth movie. Two F words including one in a sexual context. What? Oh. It's the name of my senior <laughs> thesis statement. <laughs> Two F words including one in a sexual oh, it's context. it's not
1: one I always think of um my best friend's wedding as the rare uh, PG-13 movie that has an F word that
0: refers to He's just here for a few hours to, to um, to, um, fuck fuck me. me. Yeah. Um, so on that tip, I will say maybe bounce. Incorrect. Uh, second clue. A character has an Oedipal complex. A character has an Oedipal complex. Huckabees. Incorrect. Your third clue, not from the spoilers section, but pretty specific. Several characters pass away quietly.
1: Several characters pass away quietly?
0: Yes. Oh, boy. Um, Can't believe you don't have this right there. The Evening Star. The Evening Star.
1: Wait, who has an when Oedipal Complex? When I saw Complex? several
0: characters pass away quietly. <laughs> I barked laughter. Oh,
1: I guess Bill Paxton has
0: an Oedipal Complex, you could say, right? Yes, he does. Okay. Um... And the sexual context of the F-word is when uh, Aurora looks at Bill Baxton pa- and Patsy and says, How long have you been fucking? Right, of course. Alright, your next movie, The Ninth. We're closing in on the end of this game. Yes. There is one sex scene. No nudity, but thrusting and minor moans. Honey. Um, uh, not one sex Talk about my Tuesday night, honey. <laughs> Wait,
1: well, who was our general again? General Beatdowns and, uh, and, general
0: minor, beatdown and minor Moans? General Beatdown has one sex scene with no nudity but thrusting and Minor Moans.
1: Um, uh, love that, Minor Moans. Does um, this bounce?
0: No. Uh, the second clue... Oh, I know what this is. Sorry, give me the well, second clue. Two men scuffle briefly. I heard Huckabee's. It is I Heart Huckabee's. The third clue from the spoiler section was there is a scene where you see a house on fire and a woman inside who is suffering from smoke inhalation, but no blood or intense violence. You sure do. Okay. Uh, Your final movie in this game. First clue. A couple are seen in bed together. We see male topless nudity. She is covered up by a sheet. Male
1: topless nudity. You fucking prude.
0: Um, Male topless nudity is a great band name.
1: (laughs) Alright, I'm trying to think of like ones we haven't done in this interim. Hairspray. I mean, I've been guessing Bounce. I might as well guess Bounce again.
0: It is, inc- it is uh, bounce. All right, good, 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 <laughs> Second good. Second clue was a dog attacks a man pulling on his clothes. Sure, the third one sure. is a man has a drinking problem. He is seen throwing alcohol down the sink. <laughs> Joseph, yes. I think you did really well. That was a you really fun game. We should one. revisit
1: that for the future. I love it.
0: Uh, it. It was a very fun game. But also, I will say, you had this annoying thing for me... As your, I get, what would you call it, a docent or something, the person reading the questions to you, that you said the movie either one or two titles before, before they were coming, Yeah, and I was like, no! <laughs> 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 well, I mean, Stop we, doing
1: this. we were working with a limited limited set there, so it was. I was trying to game the system We were, that's
0: why fun. I tried to keep it limited in there to make it a yeah. quick game, but good. also not have you flailing around for the 75 or so movies we've done so far. Yeah. Alright, that Alex, was excellent. Alex, thank you for the game. Thank you, Alex. That is that was so fun. super awesome. Alright, next question
1: comes from Channey, who asks, Who is the best Oscar host of all
0: time? Can we do a one, two, three, then say the name and sure. then duke it out? Yeah. Alright. One, two, three. Steve Whoopi. Martin. Oh, good good choice i like that choice. steve martin would probably be my second to be honest i i would welcome steve martin back again
1: i the steve martin one is is asterisk in that you sort of pay much 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 less attention to the year he and alec baldwin co-hosted
0: right. um,
1: which was definitely lesser although i think with Whoopi, you have a little bit of that like ups and downs too i don't think she was i think 93 is sort of a bum year for her but like I, after doing that os- that Oscar ceremony retrospective that I did last year for Polygon, I came away so, so hugely respectful for the job that Whoopi Goldberg did. I know her reviews the next morning were always very nitpicky and talking about all the jokes yeah. that bombed and whatnot. And
0: it's just like, yeah, she has some jokes that bomb, but, like, she's the... But per- I think on the big picture scale of it, though, like, what an Oscar host, if you're going to have one that they need to be, that, like, balance everything yeah. and, like probably watches the movies and cares about the movies yes. it's whoopee yep I do also love Billy Crystal though it's like those days are gone Billy like that, Crystal's that a tough one to like go back and rewatch school.
1: I will say there's a lot of like really lazy sort of like old fashionedy, sort of like old man makes fun of you know newfangled shit the year of the crying yeah. game was really really bad if you go back and look at all of his comments oh man I about the crying yeah. game it was really really rough I think Steve Martin's uh, tone and sense of humor in his hosting years—he hosted the 2000 Oscars, the year the Gladiator won, and he hosted the 2002 Oscars, which was a really difficult assignment in that, like, the U.S. had just declared war on Iraq, and there was a lot of sort of turmoil. That was the year that Michael Moore got booed for uh, his speech after winning for Bowling for Columbine, and— uh, Steve Martin had that great sort of like deflating thing of he ca- came back on the stage and he said, "Oh, it was it, it was so sweet backstage. You, sh- you should see it." The the Teamsters are helping Michael Moore into the trunk of his limo, and um, <laughs> it's just like really funny stuff like that. And I think he managed to blend archness without getting the sense that he hated the product. I think that's a lot of Oscar hosts from my lifetime. We should also mention that like there are, there are uh, you know long-standing Oscar hosts like Johnny Carson and like Bob Hope who we, I didn't experience. So I don't really have mm-hmm. a whole ton of perspective on that. I have a feeling I wouldn't have loved Bob Hope, but like you know, Hope springs to Yeah,
0: town. the clips that I've seen of them, I don't I don't necessarily love. Um,
1: Carson's one who I who even in retrospect when he seems very Of his time, I still really appreciate in terms of his talk show. So I assume I would like aspects of his Oscar hosting, but who knows? Um, But I think Martin, I think a lot of the modern Oscar hosts who people really like, I think a lot of people tend to really like Chris Rock. And my problem with Chris Rock is always, always, always that he hates the movies we're talking about.
0: that's the that's my thing about chris rock too because like i i love chris rock i will i will stand by chris Rock i love him um but like as a host i want somebody who is i think he's into the gig but not into the movies and i want somebody who at least has some sense of like enthusiasm for movies yeah
1: agreed thank you for the question
0: We love it. Um, Elizabeth asks us: The seventy fifth Oscars is a legendary Best Actress year. That is correct, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about two thousand two. Two thousand two. What would your top five, or what would be your top five, and who would you choose to win? Okay, so we should say this Oscar lineup, which I think is like one of the best Best Actress lineups of my lifetime. It is. You have Nicole Kidman for The Hours, uh, obviously our winner. Salma Hayek for Frida. Diane Lane for Unfaithful, Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven. Um, Did I say five? Yeah. Oh, and Renee Zellweger for Chicago. Yes. This is like a lineup where it's like my personal one doesn't line up with Oscar and you feel kind of bad. The one that misses my lineup that I'm like, but that's like one of the greatest scenes I've ever fucking seen is Diane Lane for Unfaithful. That whole subway scene is like... It's amazing. Jesus, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like a performance built on that scene. Yeah. Um, my personal five, my first one, which I th- would say is my winner um, because of what it is. People forget that this was actually released in 2002 because it was basically everywhere else in the world, including major festivals um, in 2001, is Isabelle Huppert for The Piano Teacher. Mm. And she would be my winner. That that performance is it's so fucking much um it's intense but like i just don't i i've seen so little in my lifetime that goes as deep as that performance is and i know that it is a, it's too much for some people um but that would be my winner and she would be at the top of my ballot the rest of my ballot would be nicole kiddin for the hours uh julianne moore for far from heaven meryl streep from the hours and this performance that never gets talked about, even when the movie gets praised to the heavens, and I think it's an incredible performance and that's uh Marybele Verdue for that's ah, a good one. She's on my long list for that movie. Yeah, nobody ever talks about that performance, and it's
1: fucking incredible. It's the best acting performance in that movie. I think I mean I love all three of the leads in in it's Mama Tambien, but yeah Maribel Verdue is freaking great in that. So my thing with my thing with two thousand two, with the caveat that I still have not seen The Piano Teacher, and you can yell at me about that.
0: I mean, it it is absolutely a lot. Anybody that's like for that, I I I get it, but Uh, like it's just this whole. I don't know. I mean, people talk about Isabelle Huppert as like an acting auteur, and it's just like the way that the movie becomes her and what she is doing is just unlike yeah anything else out there. But continue with your... I
1: also need to rewatch Secretary, because I only watched it the I need to see Secretary. And it was way back then, and I certainly don't think I could appreciate everything that was going on when I was just a dumb, you know, early 20-something. So, with that caveat, my list doesn't differ from Oscar's list too much, and I always feel like I maybe... Need to give years like that more consideration when I see that I've overlapped with Oscar so much. But like going through, yeah.
0: But this lineup, you can't blame it. Well, it was a very, it was a
1: very top heavy year and a very well chosen list of Oscar nominees that year. So like, I don't think I would change too terribly much. I think I would keep Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven, keep Nicole for The Hours, keep Diane Lane for Unfaithful. I would add in Meryl for The Hours because I do feel like. That's the best of the three leads in the hours. And it, the fact that she didn't get nominated in part because she was so good in adaptation that she was also getting Mm -hmm. nominated there feels a little, I mean, I'm never going to be able to sell unfair when it comes to Meryl Streep at the Oscars. (laughs) Meryl's been treated quite fairly by the Oscars, but I will say. But those
0: are like two of her best performances happening back to back. And it's like, but the other one is still also one of her best performances. I
1: like Meryl's performance in The Hours more than almost any of her best actress nominations in her entire career. Like it's really, it's one of the greats. And I think because of other circumstances that year, including competition within her own movie and competition within her own career, it was a recognized as such and that's a little bit of a bummer so then who fills out my fifth slot I haven't seen or Frida's another one where like I think I technically saw it but I wasn't like you know watching it to you know pay attention to the film craft I think it was on television and Mm -hmm. I was maybe flipping channels and that kind of thing so like I owe Frida a watch um, but other possible—it's on Criterion Channel right now. Oh, good, that's good. I considered uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones for Chicago because the Golden Globes did list her as a lead. Um, ultimately, I think
0: it's Roxy's movie. It's, it is Roxy's movie, and I think more so than it is on the stage. Yeah.
1: Like, I considered Catherine Keener for Lovely and Amazing, even though great that's a movie that I think is a. Its strength is its. Ensemble rather than any one performance, and yeah. I think I consider Jodie Foster. Even though that movie is, f- I mean, the lead actress in in Panic Room is David Fincher.
0: Um, Panic Room deserves more consideration. Panic Room is a wonderful is movie.
1: Panic Room is a really fantastic so movie, well made, with great performances by Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart. It's funny that we never talk about Panic Room in the context of Kristen Stewart's career, even though it fully fits in with everything else she's like her the vibe that she's had through her whole career so i think right now i would probably throw in jodie foster with the caveat that like just let me see secretary again and i'll probably put in maggie (laughs) joe
0: i need to see secretary at all some other people that i threw on like long list consideration i know people hate and this movie has not aged well Kissing Jessica Stein but I think all of the actresses in Kissing Jessica Stein are a delight yeah that's a good um, one including Jennifer Westfeld who is so funny yes she is um, and has probably the most me line I have ever heard uttered in a movie she says like talking about yoga she says I could never just sit and breathe I would panic <laughs> um, uh, I also had Catherine Keener I mentioned Jennifer Aniston for The Good Girl um, America Ferrera for Real Women Have Curves and um, another movie that we could talk about Goldie on for the Banger sister, Sure, yeah. Her
1: almost final performance ever until she came back.
0: I know. It's a good question. Banger Sisters is better. Thank you,
1: Elizabeth. Uh, Jason asks if you could replace anyone's Oscar nomination slash win, and uh, he says actor, director, actress, screenwriter, etc. etc. I don't know why I say etc. I sound like an idiot who says expresso. Etc. <laughs> nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> totally nuclear, dude. Um with someone with something else that they were not nominated for, what would it be? So this to me feels almost too wide open. Thank you, Jason, for the question. It's a really good one. It's almost too wide open in that like if I could replace anybody's Oscar with something else from their career, that's basically like anybody who ever won an award for anything that wasn't
0: or like or
1: anything that wasn't for their very tippy top best work.
0: Um, I mean, you could have like, I mean, like me. I, I I give this question not that extreme of a consideration because it doesn't have to be their tippy top best work. But like, Meryl. If somebody wins a truly bad Oscar, like Meryl's win for Iron Lady, like you could you just mention The Hours. Like we could mention right. like Ricky and the Flash for that. Right. Um, my bitchy answer is whatever Glenn Close is going wow. to win for in the next five years. Wow. Um, because A, because she should have it for Dangerous Liaisons. People think that I just hate Glenn Close, but I do not. I'm going to start calling you Ann Archer liaison. because
1: you are just shooting that lady dead in the tub is what you are doing.
0: Sorry, she should have that for... Uh, Jodie Foster doesn't. If Jodie is going to have two, one of them does not need to be for the accused. All right.
1: No, you're right. No, I'm just saying you're very mean to Glenn Close at all times. Is all I'm saying. I am not mean to Glenn Close at all times.
0: (laughs) But, like, that Dangerous Liaison's performance... Well, I guess she was nominated for it, so it's not the answer to the question.
1: I took it in a couple ways. I'll let you marinate on that for a second. One of which was, I tried to find um, nominees or winners, although this one was a nominee, who deserved for a better performance in that same year. And my answer mm. for that is always going to be Stanley Tucci in 2009, who was nominated yeah. for The Lovely Bones and should have been nominated for Julie and Julia. And truly, it's insane that it didn't go the other way around, because Julie and Julia was the one that actually had other nominations that year. So, like, yeah. what the fuck was going on there? I still don't understand And it, it.
0: keeps us from doing an episode on The Lovely Bones.
1: Yeah. my um, My other two are winners who have won twice, who I feel like one of their awards... Could have been for something else. I would trade any either one of Diane Weist's two Oscars, and give it give her one for Rabbit Hole instead. Yeah, I don't think she's bad in the two of them that she won for, but I think she's so good in Rabbit Hole, and it made, it means so much to me to have that performance recognized that I would sacrifice either her Hannah and her sister's Oscar or her. It's both also of her the broadcast. thing
0: of Rabbit Hole being way better than just having an acting nomination for Nicole Kidman.
1: Yes, and also Diane Weist's two Oscars being for Woody Allen movies sort of gives the historical sense that she was a Woody Allen actor and nothing more. And like, it's such a weird dis- like distortion of her career because like, yeah. were those not the only two Woody Allen movies she did? Am I misremembering? I can't remember specifically.
0: I think it can't be because a) there's so many Woody Allen movies, right. but uh, I mean, but it's not like she was like. They Diane definitely he- weren't roles that big as those two for Hannah right. and Her Sisters and Bullets Over Broadway. It
1: just, it's just weird that like none of her other great aspects of her career are the Oscar wins. It's just <laughs> the, the Woody Allen movies. I don't know. And the other one is I would replace uh, Tom Hanks's win for Forrest Gump with a win for A League of Their Own. He could still win back-to-back years. You would just do it on the other side or of Or Captain it. Phillips. Or Captain Phillips, yes. But I think I would do it for A League of Their Own for two reasons. One of which again, you would keep the back-to-back Oscars thing. Oscar win. Thing which is like, I like that Hanks has that, and I would also. God, sorry, they're doing construction somewhere, it's stupid. Um, it would also give him an Oscar for comedy, and I know that like Mm. Forrest Gump is like sort of comedy from him, but like it would be an Oscar for you know pure comedy from Tom Hanks, unproblematic comedy, yeah. And he does it so well, and I honestly think A League of Their Own is his best performance.
0: Um, he's so wonderful in that I guess my answers for this question this really good thoughtful question uh, are all like basic like uh, my answer would probably be I just and I know that this is very recent I feel like Emma Stone's win for La La Land will always to me be right actor in the right movie at the right time and nothing to do with the performance at all Um, and like she, obviously, she got nominated for the favorite. That's my favorite performance of hers ever. But like, I would rather give her a nomination for like, Easy A, yeah, um, or Battle of the Sexes, um, where she's doing something I think that's legitimately different from the rest of her work. Um, yeah. But it's just like that performance that win is always going to stand out to me as being so underwhelming in comparison to the performer and what the performer can do.
1: I am one. I to-
0: still think Emma Stone is someone who will eventually have a second Oscar.
1: I am one to stick up for La La Land nowadays. I think that backlash really sort of, like, pushed me more towards that movie side, which is funny, because the first time I saw it, I felt like I was on the other side of it, being, like, one of the only people being like, La La Land isn't this perfect movie. You guys are all saying it is. Yeah, Um,
0: I stick up for the movie, too, which is, like, why I always feel like I sound so extreme when I say I, I don't get the love for that performance. It's not
1: a performance showcase in that way, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Our next question comes from Zeta. Which best picture lineup pre-1970 would you consider the weakest overall? Um, I will say, I did uh, my friend Kevin Jacobson's podcast and the runner-up is—hi, Kevin— um, On 1966, which is the year A Man for All seasons won, but mostly we spent the episode talking about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm, Beyond those two movies, this is not just one of the weakest best picture lineups that I've now seen all of the movies of, but like, the weakest Oscar year. It's like, if you ever want to... Like, if you're ever wondering why Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf got the massive amount of nominations it did, and A Man for All season kind of steamrolled, look at the rest of the nominations from the 1966 movies. It is abysmal. (laughs) The other Best Picture nominees, which are like Alfie, which has aged absolutely terribly, The Sand Pebbles, which is actively bad, and The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, which is... fine.
1: I've seen none of those three movies. I've seen and the you other don't two. don't need to. I've seen A Man for All Seasons, because we watched it in uh, school. and I was
0: into it, it was but fine. it's also, like, if you have a stronger Best Picture lineup, it's definitely not close to the best. I and love who's afraid, who's afraid of Virginia, Virginia Woolf, I can't
1: imagine. Yeah.
0: like I mean, top three greatest movies of all time, the yeah. greatest screen performance of all time, but, like, that's such an abysmal <laughs> Oscar year. Yeah. I don't know if there is...
1: The closest I come to seeing all
0: five Best Picture
1: nominees before 1970 is 1964, where I've seen My Fair Lady, Beckett, Dr. Strangelove, and Mary Poppins, and I've never seen Zorba the Greek, so like, I've seen four of Mm -hmm. those, and at least two of those are really good. I loved Dr. Strangelove and I loved um, Mary Poppins, so...
0: Okay. Your construction worker outside is like, watch Zorba the Greek! I know,
1: I know, I'm sorry. You would have thought that, like, fucking Saturday, they wouldn't be here banging away, but here they are. Sorry. Is
0: it not that bird that constantly comes to visit you? Oh, no, my hawks haven't been back in a while. You have hawks that visit your... Uh... Fire window escape. that you refer to as my hawks. My hawks, my hawks is John Hawks. <laughs> Where are my hawks?
1: That's me from is the lady. <laughs> Where
0: are my hawks? Where are my lesbian hawks?
1: Yes. Okay. Um oh god, maybe they are lesbian hawks. They seem to be a couple. Anyway. Next question comes from Emily, who asks, if the winners from the lead and supporting actor... As I bite my tongue while I ask. So now I sound like Drew Barrymore. If the winners from the lead and supporting categories... (laughs) Um, If the winners from the lead and supporting acting categories from the last five Oscars were running against each other the same year, who would be your picks to win?
0: I would be remiss to say in this question about the last five years of Oscar winners that Jamie is over and Jamie is
1: gone <laughs> you dick
0: <laughs> Jamie has decided it's time to move on to the actual question um, so what's the four acting winners are up against each other and who do I win in each category let's get best actor oh uh, I, done I see over with I because see, I the see. last five years of best actor winners is just really not inspiring whatsoever you have Rami Malek Gary Oldman Casey Affleck Leonardo DiCaprio and Eddie Redmayne I don't think a single one of these made my ballot. One of them did. Uh, I mean, maybe one of them did, and that's why it's my answer, even though it's obviously problematic. It's Casey Affleck.
1: I think my pick is also Casey Affleck. I will say I really, really respect the work that went into Eddie Redmayne's performance in The Theory of Everything. Yeah, but it's not
0: exciting.
1: No, but I think sometimes we who watch a ton of movies like this and feel a little bit cynical and jaded towards things like um, imitation as performance Yeah, undervalue things like the physicality of what he's doing in that performance where it's not like, no, he's not creating that physicality from nothing. It's something that is like, he's playing to something. He's playing to an antecedent in the real world. Mm -hmm. But like, I can't imagine that that was easy to, you know, put yourself through that on a physical level every day. And yeah. I give him a lot of credit for that. I mean,
0: that. I I appreciate that, too. I just think that's a movie that—and I know that this is another performer that people just like like to make fun of or, like, look down on. But, like, I'm so much more compelled by everything going on with Felicity Jones in that movie and her character and her narrative arc Um than I was with his, and that's just a weird imbalance for that movie to me. Listen, it's all gonna
1: get relitigated in The Aeronauts anyway, so why don't we just put a I pin know. in that? And we...
0: Future um, 11 nomination leader <laughs> on Oscar <laughs> morning, The Aeronauts. God. I just think that, like, nothing about Stephen Hawking's struggle was like interesting to me on a personal level as hers was in that movie.
1: I if I, I wish I liked her better as an actress so that I could agree with that because like normally that is how I tend to come down on movies, but mm, I don't know. There right. was there's something about her in that movie that I'm just like I I'm at least as disinterested in her as I am in this idea of just like, you know, great men in movies. Right. do you right, want to do supporting right. actor and wind our way around to actress?
0: Yeah, we'll talk about the women last because we will spend the most time with them and we're more fascinated by it anyway. Yes. Supporting actor, you have the double Mahershala Ali's, you have Sam Rockwell, Mark Rylance, and J.K. Simmons. It's a pretty easy cakewalk for Mahershala Ali and Moonlight for me.
1: I agree with that as well. I think my second place would probably be Mahershala Ali in Green Book and I know that's not everybody's favorite movie. Um... That's a performance you like. I like what Rylance is doing in Bridge of Spies, but I don't think I ever considered it on the level of being an Oscar nomination worthy performance. Maybe it's It's because also a performance
0: that just didn't stick with me too, so I'm like, I know that I liked him, but I don't I can't like talk about specific things that I liked that stood out to me.
1: I it's I I wonder sometimes is if people who are movie people and not necessarily, especially Los Angeles movie people who don't get to a lot of theater and maybe had Mm -hmm. never seen Mark Rylance on the stage, saw something in Bridge of Spies where they were like, Oh, exciting new actor. Um, you know what, watch what he's bringing to the thing. And because I maybe a little bit more Jaden had seen him in a couple of things on stage, although certainly not everything. Um, and it's just like, yeah, it's Mark Rylance, he's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like as yeah. what do you do?
0: I mean, my second place would be J.K. Simmons. I seem to like whiplash a lot more than people most people do these days, though like I probably like it less than I did at the time. But I do think J.K. Simmons is great in it. I
1: should probably give that more consideration that I do. I really, really, really hated whiplash and the 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 message of it and the the Praise that it got, and the sort of, you know, I don't know, the whole macho, mm. the whole macho of it, I really, really, just turned me off so severely. And like, it's a great performance, but like, I don't know, I like, I like J.K. Simmons in other contexts,
0: right? Supporting actress or supporting, it's two actress.
1: supporting actresses.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have Regina King, Allison Janney, Viola Davis, Alicia V. Kander, Patricia Arquette. That's not a bad five. It's not a bad five, especially if you... Alicia Vikander's in there for the wrong performance.
1: She's 100% in there for the wrong performance. She's easily the fifth of five there. I still really like Alice and Janney, and I know that, like... I like Alice as gays, Not enough to, to have made my ballot yeah.
0: that year, but I like it. As
1: gays, we're supposed to love Laurie Metcalf and hate Alice and Janney, and I have boldly decided to love them both. And um, I think it fits the movie that it's in. I think it gives life sort of trashy life to that movie. She had a fucking bird on her shoulder for half of her scenes. (laughs) She was great. Um, Also, I love her acceptance speech so much where she just goes up and she's just like, I did it all myself. I had no help. And it was
0: <laughs> I did it all myself. Well, because it, like it's the du- it's the one two punch of like she got a standing ovation, right? And then yeah. like she gets up there and see the pe- sees that sees that people are standing up there for her. And her response was, "I did it all myself." <laughs> it's so good. It's it's so perfectly deflating. Um my winner is still Regina King. My um, winner is
1: also Regina King. I will say I think Patricia Arquette is a closer second than than I would have maybe thought at first blush, but the more I think about it,
0: Viola Davis would be my second this is one of those things like I'm not somebody who gets hung up on category fraud Uh, I I mean there's some egregious things but like that is a lead performance for me Um, not that it's like a demerit it's just like Regina King and if Beale Street could talk I mean Jesus Christ man it's it's the one
1: (laughs) I want to maybe talk about Viola Davis and Fences for half a second I want to maybe get myself into a little bit of trouble as I do
0: I think she Are gives you a, anti-snot.
1: Well, not necessarily, but that's not like not what I'm talking about. Um, I love Viola Davis as an actress, and I really think she's wonderful in fences. I think she is giving you something that no other actress is going to be able to give you in that. I think she stands toe-to-toe with Denzel Washington, which is, I mean, talk about degree of difficulty. That is not an easy thing to do. And she uh, Especially bold, when he's
0: giving his greatest performance.
1: Oh, that's a bold stance, but like. I'll let you have it. it's It's a really great performance. Um I think it's such a it's I don't want to say it's stagey, but it's such a performance that recalls stage acting in that it's just sort of just like, here, we're going to let you take this and run with it. And I sometimes feel like we appreciate Viola Davis the most. For things that like she's great in, but maybe like she's even better when she's allowed to have a little bit more of a rounded character
0: and, and like the high the highs and the, the lows highs and matter, the lows. matter as much with her right I'm gonna challenge you and say that's not a performance problem that's a directing problem oh, I don't because think even though I think problem. that's his best performance, I don't think that movie's well directed
1: i don't yes, I agree with you that I don't think it's a performance problem
0: um somebody is
1: really fucking trying my nerves with this construction I really hate it so much Um, I agree with you that it's a directing issue and not an acting issue it does make me look back on that on this list and just be like yes you know Viola Davis has
0: I'm so glad she has an Oscar she deserves to have an Oscar Um, I will also say somebody asked and we didn't get it in there sorry I don't have your name right now but what is the greatest Oscar speech that you remember of your lifetime and hers is it nice that's a really good choice All right, best actress Best actress, we have Olivia Coleman, Frances McDormand, Emma Stone, Brie Larson, and Julianne Moore. I think this is a really good lineup. I mean, if, uh, you know, the bottom two are safely the bottom two for me, but, like, m- my winner in this five would still be Olivia Coleman. I think I agree with you. Though you think that is a supporting performance.
1: I do. But it doesn't bother me that she won the Oscar for it. I, I much more would have cared about it the other way around another great speech Um, I think my favorite speech of these five is Julianne Moore's speech Julianne Moore's speech I will go back and watch a lot I get so emotional when she talks about um, Richard Glatzer I get so amazed at the the, the poise of it all and the fact that it sounds so off the cuff even though it's so well considered and it's so
0: um, you ever just watch an Oscar speech and know that someone's a Good person, yep. like yep. I think that a lot when I watch her speech. I'm just like, I always think, oh, I would love. She's to a fundamentally know her.
1: good person. Yeah. Yes, right? absolutely. And I always stick up for Still Alice, and I stick up for that performance. I think she's really, really wonderful. Yeah,
0: Still, Still Alice deserves more than her. The
1: part where she's talking to Kristen Stewart and um, she's talking about how she can't find herself. She's finding it harder and harder and harder to find herself. Is so mm-hmm. devastating. Um, I think Coleman is the choice. And I think Brie Larson is also a very, very, you know, strong performance in this and a good win. But I would put Julianne as a as my second. Yeah. Good question. I agree. Good question. Alright. Um next one. I
0: believe it is my turn. Um from another one of our Joes. If you had the power to guarantee one nomination this year, who or what would it be? We have a lot of strong feeling. I mean, like, I I definitely want to see hustlers with something beyond jennifer lopez so if i have two answers if Lorene scafaria could get a director nomination or even a screenplay nomination that would be one or i mean i don't know what the hell we're gonna have to do to get Marielle heller yeah. a goddamn best director nomination
1: that's sort of you're you're in the same general area that i'm in and that like I If I were to guarantee one thing, I would probably, just for the fact that it's one of my top two movies of the year, I would say Greta Gerwig as a director nominee for Little Women. I think her. I think it's the same thing with, with Marielle Heller and also probably with Lorraine Scafaria. But I think, especially with Gerwig and Heller, the, their contributions on a directing level in terms of choices made and perspectives taken are so... Important to the success of that movie and mm-hmm. that they're being so overlooked is maddening. It's super maddening. And especially, at least, I mean, this sounds perverse, but like at least with Marielle Heller, you could chalk it up to a blind spot and that like they haven't l- latched onto her. They don't really. They're not on her wavelength yet. Let's let's And say. they're
0: not really latching on to that movie. Right. Like even probably less so than Hustlers, which is a real shame because talk about a movie that'll be in my top five. Um I mean I do need to read. But like
1: it. with little women, um, it's just like you know who fucking Greta Gerwig is, you nominated her three years ago, like or two years mm-hmm. ago. Just like what the fuck is your problem?
0: We will see. Yeah. If we can answer this with something that's maybe like less at the forefront, if you, like we're pulling something from that's like fully, absolutely not gonna happen, I would say um we'll get the short lists on Monday, so two days from this recording. But I want I would make sure that her smells control would be an original song nominee. Ooh. You I are just on like top talk of this about stuff. something that is instrumental to the success of a movie that Song that Elizabeth Moss does in the fourth act of that movie, yeah, is incredible. incredible. She's so but like good. that's not gonna. And then that it may not even make the eligibility list yeah. because who knows if it was even submitted.
1: Yeah, best original song at this point to me is such a is such a cloud of mystery that like I can't even really talk about it intention, <laughs> intelligently. I don't know where we're at with that category, and
0: and it's our next uh, set of questions.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, well, wait,
0: is it? So, Nina asked us, What do you think the chances are for Beautiful Ghosts by Taylor Swift and Andrew Lloyd Webber of Cats? Also, piggybacking this, Matt asked us, Now, how is Queen Bee looking for Oscar?
1: My answer is I have no idea.
0: I have no idea. uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get the eligibility list, but I think these are both songs that are absolutely going to show up on that el- eligibility list on Monday morning, or the, the short list. The eligibility list is out there somewhere in right. secret. But we'll get the short list of, like, is it 10 or 15, something like I that? I think it's, like, 15. Um, the, the, I think those will both definitely be on there. I don't think either of them are going to be front runners. The thing is... I think Adele gave us a false certainty that, like, pop star—and Sam Smith, I guess. By Adele, you're a referring false to cer- Adele Dazeem,
1: yes. Yes, Adele Dizim.
0: Um Adele, talk about another um, great Oscar speech where she basically just gets up there and goes, FUNK YOU SO yeah. MUCH! <laughs> um, that's my Adele, ladies and gentlemen. Um... I think we have this false sense that pop stars get Oscars now. Yeah. Um, and m- again, I mean, like, Lady Gaga won last year. But, like, if you look at Shallow and Skyfall, those are, like, hugely culturally significant in a way that they were, like, omnipresent songs everywhere. Yeah, Let It Go as and, well. And Let It Go. That's not a pop star, though. Oh, a pop star. I thought you meant... Because, like, like, Let It Go was treated as a
1: pop song and that, like, it charted... I it mean,
0: like, out. it was a charting song... Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, no you're right, you're so right about like, the pop star I, thing.
0: My feeling, the song that I would guess right now is going to be the winner is the song from Harriet. Oh, this is a bold choice. Um A, I love that we have we will probably have I'm guessing that Cynthia Rebo gets in um, this year so it'll be a three-year run of female performers nominated for a performance and a song um, after Lady Gaga and Mary J. Blige Um, that's just what I think is gonna happen I don't think they're gonna give it to one of the pop stars those are not songs that are universally beloved Sam Smith is sitting somewhere laughing his Uh ass off uh Um, but like I don't see Frozen winning because the Lopez's have already won twice right
1: for that franchise one of the Kasich and
0: Paul are gonna be lucky to be nominated for Aladdin right
1: I feel like if any if either of the Taylor Swift or Beyonce songs turns into a underwhelming default winner and that like there's mm-hmm. nothing else that's exciting us more so we'll just go for one of these pop stars that we know um I think Beyonce is probably more likely than Taylor Yes
0: or no? I I agree with that. I agree with that. And I mean, people... uh, I think if you're talking about Oscar voters being snobs, Beyonce is taken way more seriously than Taylor Swift is. But I also just think in regards to Harriet, first off, people aren't discussing that movie enough. And people aren't realizing that movie is a hit. I think in regards to what I was saying earlier, that like the movies that are going to have a leg up are the movies that everybody's seeing. And I think everybody's going to watch... All of the voters are going to be watching Harriet. Um, and I think that's a benefit to it. And I think that I think people like Harriet too, um, regardless of how you fall on the potential, the different like talking yeah. points of what's problematic about it. I mean, it's it's a hit movie. I mean, it's made twice of what Jojo Rabbit's made. Um, I think that's going to be where that movie is rewarded.
1: We will see. Uh, next question. Declan asks, is Dern versus Lopez and supporting actress, he says next year, but I would say it's this year, um, the equivalent of Janny versus Metcalf, a battle from which the gays still haven't recovered. I would maybe take a little bit of issue with that in that, like Laurie Metcalf fully Got all the gays with her that year. I don't. I don't know of too many people who stayed on the Janie train in that particular one. I think we all tended to coalesce pretty um, cleanly around that one. I do feel bad mm-hmm. that I. I, I thought Laurie Metcalf was better as well, but I didn't. I was not down for any of the Janie bashing that
0: year. I did. Laura not. Dern also has Little Women too, where she's doing something very different, and I would argue better. Um... So it's like, it's not fully apples to apples. And I think part of the thing about the Janie Metcalf thing that made so many gay men incensed about it was that Alice and Janie fully steamrolled. Yes. I don't think that it would have been that much of like this divide or this like actress war of gay people that you wouldn't expect if Alice and Janie hadn't won absolutely every I think we're precursor. headed for
1: that, though. I do think Dern wins everything.
0: I I think, I don't want to say it's her last stand, but I would say look out for Jennifer Lopez winning the Globe.
1: I'll be on the lookout, but the fact that Constance Wu didn't get a nomination in Actress in a Comedy for Hustlers
0: makes me feel like i think that's people just reducing the movie down to jennifer lopez i think it's a movie that people are not considering anywhere near as deeply as they should but they are very enthusiastic about jennifer lopez jennifer lopez is also going to be doing the super bowl halftime she's getting magazine covers oh, yeah. she's just she's the one that's also going to be everywhere so but also
1: sometimes that leads voters to a you know, they're already being rewarded plentifully. That's sort of the thing where, like, if somebody's in a big blockbuster or whatever that, like,
0: you know... I don't think the supporting actress lineup is all fully locked up. I also think Marriage Story has chances to win elsewhere, and it feels really, at least at this point, the type of movie where it's like, all of its love is going to congeal in one thing, and I don't know if that's gonna be screenplay, or Adam Driver, but... I don't think it it would be super strange to me if it was Laura Dern.
1: I think it will be, but we'll see. We'll see who's right.
0: Again, she has uh, little Women. Also, I want to 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 say sorry, just
1: really quickly. In this age of um, everybody on Twitter shitting on Marriage Story now, I think Laura Dern's fantastic in Marriage Story, and I think that if you want to reduce her performance to the villain in this particular story, you're missing a lot. I think she's fantastic. So, there
0: There's a lot of layers. I think her final scene is what makes people think she's a villain. Um I mean, I think she's she's good, but I like her in Little Women. Um, Seth asks us, what recent Broadway hit has the most potential for a big budget Oscar buzzy adaptation and which one has the most potential to go wildly off course? My uh, Seth says Hamilton, but I don't think that's happening for a very, very, very long time. We still don't even have Wicked. I agree with um, that,
1: that it's probably not happening for a while. I do think it's a disaster waiting to happen whenever it happens, and I genuinely dread it. And
0: okay. um, I love gonna Hamilton. It's going to be a Netflix movie. <laughs> I guarantee you it will be on Netflix. Um, uh, my answer is both, and I think it's Dear Evan Hansen.
1: You all right? See, so this is where maybe the it's question, in development already. The question is maybe um tripping me up a little bit in terms of big budget buzzy adaptation. I I tend to think of
0: um a sort like of like a big splashy, musical. a big
1: splashy spectacular, and I think Dear Evan Hansen is so small that
0: But I think that's the type of thing that a studio would put its weight behind in trying to make it the big Oscar movie. It's very that's possible. how I interpret that It's
1: question. very possible. Uh, Wicked was my answer just because I think like Wicked is going to be like the cats of its ear. And mm-hmm. um for for good and ill, I don't know if it'll turn out to be very good.
0: But whenever the hell it happens it's gonna be
1: huge. Like whatever it is.
0: Yeah, the casting. I still stand by my casting choices, which I think we're going to know a lot about that movie once we know who the leads are. I still think that Elphaba should be Cynthia Erivo, and that Glinda is the one that Ariana Grande should be playing.
1: Oh, I really, I really, really, really want us to be beyond
0: Ariana Grande. (laughs) I know, I know. But go back to when she hosted SNL, and she was really funny. Yeah, yeah. It's my answer. Right. it's my answer. Yeah.
1: Um, I am much, much more interested in your little HBO genre of musicals. I feel like the ones that <laughs> the I the
0: hill that I will die on. I
1: think the ones that will turn out to be the best movies, or has the have the potential to be the best movies, are things like Fun Home and Hadestown. Town, and I think they don't benefit from this sort of big, spectacular, you know, cat-sized movie adaptations. I think they would yeah. be best served by... I know the last five years musical wasn't universally acclaimed, but something of that size for Fun Home would be perfect. And I think mm-hmm. something a little bit bigger, but not too much bigger than that size for Hadestown would also be great. Hadestown needs a real good specific director, though. I think if you... I think there are, there are ways to really make that work, but like, I don't know, put like a D Reese on Hadestown or something like that, and like see what you got
0: yeah um i mean i always go to i mean i think that the the time has passed for this musical but like when i have my like hbo should do musicals like rant that happens every like four months um my mind always goes to next to normal um yeah that just seems like the type of thing that could easily skate to like three acting nominations um but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Alright, um, this very well looks like it's our last question from oh. Jason. Jason says, It's fun when you guys try to guess in any given year what the Best Picture nominees would be if it were expanded to anywhere from 8 to 10 nominations. But on that same account, I've always thought, uh, what what if the Academy went back to just five nominees just to mix things up for future years? Do you ever think it would happen?
0: Here's the thing. I do think that some major changes will be coming in the next few years. I think that the shorts categories are not going to be on the broadcast for much longer. Okay. I think they're going to they're already setting in motion that they're going to reduce it to one sound category. However, even though it has not the like expansion hasn't been popular among the membership of expanding best picture and like having to see more movies and like vote for more movies. I think that the studios would pitch a fucking fit if it went back to five um, in the way that they could. Like, that's a really reductive way to say it. But there's so much money behind it, and so many movies benefit from the expanded Best Picture field now that it's money that I think they won't reduce. Here's my question
1: to you, though. If Netflix ends up with three Best Picture nominees out of, like, eight or nine this year, does that change... The studio's uh perspective on this
0: I mean this would be a bad year to say that because those potential like three best picture nominations I think would be happening anyway um that's interesting at least two. At least if two. If this was at a year two. of five at least two yeah. at very least two yeah. and I think that that does not make for a great argument on their part yeah. um
1: i I tend to really love the the expanded best picture category. I always did, I always Me too. I always thought that more was better than fewer. I always thought that, you know, getting people to see more of these movies and, you know, getting letting more movies make that kind of post nomination uh, financial windfall was good. And I think reducing them to 5 is an interesting thought experiment to have, but I don't know if I as again, as you say, I don't know practically who would be that excited about limiting revenue opportunities. And also yeah. just like I d I, I don't think that's whatever problems people seem to have with the Oscar
0: telecast, I don't think that's one of them. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's a really thoughtful and interesting question. It is. And it's our last one. Listeners We love you so much. Thank you for all of your wonderful questions. Everybody submitted great questions. We wish we could have enough time to fit them all in there. We're already pushing two hours. But uh, we love doing this for you guys. Hopefully this is a nice little uh, treat in your stocking. Um, And we'll definitely be doing this again in the future. So don't hesitate to send questions again if yours wasn't answered today. We still absolutely love you and appreciate all of your support. it's been a fun year, it's Joe. It's been a really fun
1: year. I will I will say I'm happy to uh <laughs> embark on the next one. But yeah, thank thank you listeners for for listening and for tweeting at us and for being enthusiastic and you know, we love doing it and we'll keep doing it as long as you want to listen to it. So,
0: thanks. Thanks. Happy holidays, happy holidays Merry everybody. Christmas that is our episode we will be back next week with your listeners choice of cloud atlas but if you want more this had oscar buzz please check out our tumblr at this please also follow us on twitter at had underscore oscar underscore buzz joseph christopher my santa baby <laughs> Where can listeners find more of you and your stuff?
1: Sure. You can go onto Twitter and find me at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. You can go onto Letterboxd and find me there. My username there is Joe Reed. Reed spelled the exact same way.
0: I am on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L also on letterbox under the same name. I write regularly for the film experience as well. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google play stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple podcast visibility. So please give us those Louboutins and Gucci bags and stories about Frankie Valley at our Christmas party party in our (laughs) Apple Podcast reviews. Uh, That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz.